Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. My guest today on Dan's podcast is Bob Rubin, the uh, founder and chief uh, cook and bottle washer at the uh, Bridge Golf Club, one of the most uh, recent private clubs that was built here on the Eastern Long Island. I think one of the most, certainly the most spectacular. But I don't think we're here to talk about golf. Is that correct, Bob? No, we're here to talk about cars. Yeah, well, that's sort of happening at the club. And uh, what's the date of that? There's going to be a huge car show. They have it. You have it there every year, I know. Right. It's on September 17th this year. It's not just the car show at the bridge. There's also the Cars and Coffee event at the Bridgehampton Historical Society on Sunday morning as well. Oh, what day, date is that? That's the 18th. Oh, it's in the morning from, I believe, 9 to 11 on the grounds of the Historical Society. And it's open to the public and you can bring a car and it's a very informal and uh, pleasant uh, denouement to the car weekend. Should I bring my TR3? That'll work. If I can fire it up and get it. Yeah, you can get if you can get it there. Sure. (laughs) Well, um, let's talk cars. Um, two two topics. One is um, about Bridgehampton and how it came to be the center of car racing. And the other is what is, in your opinion, the most spectacular automobile you're going to have at your close? Well, I, don't, I, I can't really answer that because, first of all, the list is not finalized. And it's one of those questions that people ask me, like, what's your favorite hole on the golf course? Or what's the coolest car you've ever owned? And I I can't really, I'm not into ranking like that. You know, I'm into experiencing and enjoying. I can probably come up with a few. I mean, last year, the most interesting car was a Porsche Speedster that the conceptual artist Robert Morris had modified into a very sculptural form. You know, he cut new fenders and head fairing and, you know, turned it into this kind of minimalist rolling blob, (laughs) kind of cool. I think that's Um, And, uh, you know, the, uh, when you think of the Speedster, you think of the car that James Dean crashed in, you know, I mean, these are, you know, those little rolling bathtub cars, but uh, yeah, this year I, you know, I mean, last year we also had a, you know, the world's most expensive car, a beautiful Ferrari GTO. And How much money did you need to buy that? Well, rumor has it <laughs> that it's a $70 million car. If you have to ask. It's I haven't tried to buy one for $70 million because that would be a highly theoretical experiment. Well, one, one thing we left out in this talk so far is all of these cars are displayed out on the golf course, which prior yes. to that time had been a racetrack. 
Yeah, let's talk about that. I think I sent you the link for the little film that we made for the Historical Society. I watched it. Uh, and it's, one, it's a wonderful little movie, and Peter Klebnikov and the Racing Heritage Group should really be commended for doing uh, the, the, the heavy lifting on putting that together. Well, the editor did a great job, and also I want to thank the famous character Richard Kind for narrating it. But I, I, what I loved about the film was the geographic and historical specificity of, uh, of the story that we had racing in the streets before the First World War. And then we had racing in the streets after the Second World War. <laughs> and you can walk the course today in, in Sagaponic. And the story of the of the founding of the racetrack is such a grass, wonderful grassroots story where after there were some terrible accidents, the Lions Clubs was shut down. You know, I love the fact that it was sponsored by the Lions Club and that uh, there, unfortunately there were some, some very bad accidents and they were told they couldn't race anymore. So they set, they set up a little card table in front of the candy kitchen and sold shares in Bridgehampton Road Races Corporation for uh, $5 a share and raised enough money to buy 560 acres of land north of the highway, which in 1953 wasn't very expensive. So, you know, that's a great story. Born out of tragedy. Yeah, I think that it shows that uh, people really wanted a racetrack when the Hamptons were a quasi wilderness. Now that the Hamptons have become basically a suburb, you can't really have a racetrack out here. It's too noisy and it's too crowded. And you know, you can have a racetrack in a place like Indianapolis, which is built around the racetrack or in Lime Rock, which is still relatively remote, but you know, the Hamptons outgrew its ability to have these quirky kinds of uh, community efforts, you know, it's too bad. There were two things about the film. Um, one is I was looking for myself in it uh, because I was among those there when the, the uh, Can-Am was being run. Right. And you could just walk and I have photographs. I'm gonna send you some from the pits. I was a young guy and I had a camera and a newspaper. And I went into those pits without it, but nobody even asked yeah, me. I mean, that was great. I mean, now if you go to a Formula One race, it's going to cost you thousands of dollars in security checks to get into the pits, and you won't get anywhere near Lewis Hamilton or any of those. I was looking in at the engines with yeah, that. Yeah. I was asking what's broken. They said, well, I have to fix the Flemic, whatever. It was a very low-fi operation, you know? Yeah. <laughs> low-fi. And, uh, and the other thing about it I thought was, something that was missed in the film, which was the, uh, the race took, the races took place there on the streets in Bridgehampton, where at one point they would come up across the hump of the bridge on Bridge Lane, where the bridge is. And the cars, there's a video, which the, uh, uh, which the Bridgehampton Historical Society has, where you can actually see daylight under the car. The yeah, car. the car gets airborne. You mean? Yes. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah, it's uh, quite something. And um, how did the uh, racetrack morph into becoming 
a golf course. How is that in, in, in two minutes or less? Well, okay, the clock is running. <laughs> I mean, the, the Bridgehampton Road Races Corporation was always a day late and a dollar short. Yeah. And they were on the verge of selling the property to Tom Gill for a 114 lot subdivision, which I blocked by buying enough shares to stop the vote from succeeding. Yeah. And then there was some internecine warfare among various racing factions to take it over. I ran it as a racetrack for 10 years before oh. I threw in the towel and then ran it for another almost 10 years while I waited for all the approvals to vest. But uh, I wanted to do something with the property that was less degrading than building a 114 lot cluster subdivision, which is what it was zoned for. I didn't play golf at the time. Somebody said, how about a golf course and a few houses? And I said, that sounds nice. And that's how we ended up there. I mean, what's interesting is that the way I look at it in the big picture is that the, the resistance of the racing community and the efforts that we made over several decades to keep the thing going in the face of you know pretty serious opposition from town officials and neighbors uh, is what has preserved this very large track. At the time I acquired it, it was the largest undeveloped parcel in Southampton, and it's a much gentler use of the land yeah. than, than the subdivision, which would have been horrible. So, um, you know, in a way, the racers are to be thanked for minimizing the impact of civilization on the Hamptons here, you know. You built the uh, clubhouse for the golf course in a, uh, who was the architect for that? It's a Roger, Roger Ferris. Modern Roger. design, very similar to uh, something you might think of as an airport. Uh, um, yeah, if you were being unkind, you could compare it to an air, airport terminal. I think it's a little more, if you're going to compare it to an airport terminal, at least compare it to the beautiful old TWA terminal by Aero Sarin and Kennedy. Who was the architect for this thing? Roger, Fer Roger Ferris. Oh. And uh, it's a beautiful building. It's very sure. appropriate for the site. And it's really a, a viewing lens for the fantastic views that are up here that, you know, yeah. When you were whipping by in a race car at over 100 miles an hour, you might not have noticed the same way. But uh, it, uh, I'm I'm pretty proud of the clubhouse. Well, what caused the when I when I was going to the races up there as a young man, I, which I did numerous times. My dad took me the first time. We the objections we were hearing from the uh, community at the time about trying to shut down the racetrack were that. It was too loud. Yes. Yeah. I thought it was great. It was only one you know, Saturday, whatever, maybe five times in the summer. It was no big deal for a couple of hours. And uh, and uh, I really wanted, I rooted for it, that they should keep it. And uh, then I think the town put in, they had to have mufflers on the cars, which. Yeah, what happened? I mean, I proposed to the town oh. that if they would give me two weekends a year, with no noise restrictions that I would organize 
vintage race weekends that would be the motorsports equivalent of the Hampton Classic, raise money for charity, bring in tourism in the shoulder season. And they all thought that was a good idea until the neighbors started banging on them. And that, that was the end of that. You know, politicians are like pillows. They bear, bear the imprint of the last person whose head was on them. At a certain point, I read the writing on the wall, you know? I mean, if I couldn't, if I couldn't do that, what was the point of just, you know, losing a couple hundred thousand dollars a year so the Porsche and Ferrari club could have a muffled outing every once in a while? It doesn't really, yeah, doesn't compute, you know? You know at, at one point, they had a racing car uh, school that were, that were yeah. And I took my Triumph TR3, there's a 59 bright red sports car out on the track and went around it at about 55 miles an hour. Yeah, that was, it was, you know, it was a nice, low-key nice low thing, but, you know, the taxes on the property were like $175,000 a year. So, you know, you need to run a lot of driving schools to cover that. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, had, I had a vision of uh, you know something like the Monterey Historics or Road America, and you only need to be able to do it a couple times a year. But nobody was buying what I was selling. Is there any place people can watch this fourteen-minute? Uh... Well, right. Now, I mean, we did. We ran it at the Bridgehampton Historical Society opening, and we're just cleaning it up a little bit, and we will then roll it out and hopefully put it online. But yeah. it's not quite ready for prime time. We're still tweaking it. Uh, so you've seen a rough cut of it, essentially. I guess, well, you can put it up on YouTube. No, no, we could, but we have, we, we, we're, we're fiddling with the music and some of the clearances and the images. So don't, don't post it yet, okay? <laughs> um, you'll get me in trouble. But no, it's, the, the movie is meant to be a permanent record of racing in the Hamptons, not just at the track, but the whole uh, series of events leading up to the track. Yeah. We ran for many years uh, what's called the Potato Hampton Minithon. I'm talking about Dan's papers. Right. And this was a race where it was the very first race in the Hamptons. And uh, we had 500 runners for the first race. And I had arranged for the police department to uh, stopped the traffic on the highway when they came around from Scuttlehole Road to come down and uh, cross the highway over by, by Butter Lane. And uh, what happened was I had forgotten the fact they would be all spread out. So they actually shut down the highway for about, about 10 minutes or 20 minutes for, for, that, for, um, for, that, for that period. And it must have been something back in the after the two wars to have the uh, racing up there. Uh, you can only imagine it and see it in this video. Yeah, yeah, and it does make noise. And depending upon how the wind blows, you could hear it in downtown Sag Harbor. But you know, some people think it's beautiful music, and other people just think it's nasty noise. You know, uh, are there still memberships available up at the club for people wanting to become members there? No, the, the you know, there's been a lot of demand for golf. Yeah out here and in recent years and the club is full and there's a waiting list so tell me a little bit about yourself and where you're from and, and well i'm from perth amboy new jersey where perth amboy new jersey oh yeah i'm from jersey as well 
Whereabouts? Melbourne. Yeah, that's fa that's a fancier part of New Jersey. Yes, it is, and you're um, And you know, I didn't grow up playing golf or yeah. tennis or skiing I or that stuff. <laughs> I, you know, I came to it much later in life. I actually didn't play golf when I started building the golf course. I just took it up because I thought it was a good thing to learn. You got under the circumstances, and I started coming to the Hamptons in '77. You know, I rented a uh, a house on on the corner of uh, of Bridge Lane and Highland Terrace with uh, nine other people. It was five bedrooms, and we had alternate weekends. You know, and I kind of worked my way up the food chain to this. So, uh, but you know, I used to have the garage over on Powell Avenue by the train station, 87 Powell Avenue in Southampton. Is that, was that one of these garage places where you could look at your car from your screen in New York City? No, that was that's very high tech. I was renting this, the, the old ice house from Vernon Batter oh. back in the day, and I had a mechanic and a body man, and we worked on my cars. I had a trailer, and we were trailering my vintage cars to various uh, vintage racing venues uh, in America. It was a lot of fun. Do you still have them? And if so, how, how many have you got? I don't really have any more uh, cars. I sold them over the years in part to finance the uh, building of the golf course. Yeah. I used to have some nice ones, but now I now I see some of my old children on the uh, on the 18th fairway, people bring them back and they say, I think I used to own that car. You know, so <laughs> it's a nice feeling. Well, it's been very interesting to talk to you and uh, I'll see you on the 17th. I'll, I'll see you on, I'll see you on the 17th. Yeah. Thanks very much for coming, Bob Rudin. Uh, okay. Thanks for having me, Dan. Former owner of the Bridgehampton Racetrack, which is now the Bridge a Golf Club in town, privately owned. And uh, I'll see you there. See you there, Dan. Take care. Bye-bye.